this body. Uh, I just want to give you just a quick synopsis on what we've done thus far uh, before we open up with our Q&A with Jonathan. As you know, we lost Andy in the fall. And so after Andy died, we, uh, we had a time of, of discussing where we would go forward. And Jonathan submitted his name as a candidate for lead pastor. We, of course, had looked at other potential possibilities, but decided that we needed to move forward with vetting Jonathan um, among the bodies. So the first thing we did is we went to the deacons, had a meeting with the deacons and got their input. Then we had a meeting with our seniors, very productive meeting with them. Then we had a meeting with the congregation in general. So we've had three major meetings regarding Jonathan's candidacy. Then we, the elders met with Jonathan to vet other, other discussions about his doctrine and other ideas on the vision for the church. Then the staff and elders met with Jonathan. So we've had basically five meetings with Jonathan to move forward. So we wanted to open up to the entire body to question him. You've questioned us. We want you to question him about anything on your mind. Be very open, transparent, and I'm sure he'll answer with, with his usual quick wittedness or whatever uh, is on his mind. So before we get started with the questions and answers, I want us to commit this to prayer. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, just being in our midst. We thank you for loving us so much, for sending your son and dying for us and shedding that blood, Father, and, re and resurrecting, Father, so that we could have redemption through you. Thank you that Jonathan has come forward, Father, as a candidate. Pray that you would open this time up and our hearts would be open to his answers and our questions would be transparent and open and it would all be to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. If, oh, by the way, if you have a question, would you come to this mic, this mic, or that mic? Because, because uh, it's super awkward for someone to be the very first one, I'll go ahead and just sort of prime the, prime the pump. Look at, oh, okay. I thought for a second Alan was taking the plunge. <clears throat> uh, let me go ahead and just start by, uh, by putting out a question that was sent in by email Given a, yeah, okay. Given a brief answer, given a brief answer uh, to that question, and then hopefully uh, some of you can uh, can fill in the gap. Um, just a, a very basic, sort of straightforward question: Why do you want to be the uh, the lead pastor at Edgewood? Uh, I don't know that I could give a, a single one sentence answer. I could I could give a couple different answers that are sort of all tied in together. Uh, one, I love Edgewood. Uh, this, is, uh, this is where I grew up. Um, it was at this church um, through, first and foremost, through uh, my parents' influence, but then obviously reinforcing that, the, the ministry of the church. This is where, um, where I would have come to know the Lord. This is where I would have uh, grown and got uh, my feet under me as far as my faith is concerned. Uh, I had hoped that when I went to Bible college and eventually seminary, um, had hoped at one point that I would be able to, to come back here. That was sort of a, a dream, and it's just sort of funny the way that the Lord works. Uh, Chris and I got to a point where uh, we actually didn't think that we were going to be moving anywhere. We thought we were going to be in Maryland because it seemed like the Lord had opened up some doors, some ministry there, and, uh, and he was... Uh, 
was creating some fruit there. And so we basically got to a point in time where we thought, well, it seems like the Lord has us staying here in the Lanham, Maryland, Bowie Crofton, Maryland area. And then um, it was after we had had that conversation, I think three or four months later, that someone contacted me and said, hey, would you mind if we put your name in for the opening of the, uh, the education pastor? And so that started a whole chain of events. That was actually a harder decision to move back down here than, uh, than what I had anticipated, more so on my part than, uh, than my wife's part. She was willing and able. Um, but uh, I love Edgewood, um, have uh, always relished the idea of being able to, uh, to serve here. Uh, along with my love for Edgewood and the, and the people here in the body, um, the, I think the Lord has, uh, has grown me and matured me in my ministry here. Um, I think that he has, uh, has equipped me in some, uh, some unique ways in terms of uh, certain peculiar bents and passions that would serve the body well here. Um, to that extent, I think uh, with the Lord's equipping, I think, I, I, I think as best as I've been able to discern, in my interaction with the body, I think the Lord has been faithful to, uh, to make my ministry here fruitful and profitable for the body, and so I take that to be a good sign of, uh, of the Lord's continued grace at work uh, in me and through me. And then um, I just, yeah, being moving from the pastoral staff into uh, the role as an elder, uh, this is, of course, the way that these things sort of unfolded. Obviously, none of us would have anticipated and none of us would have, would have liked this. My, you know, my heart's desire, I would have loved for my dad to be sitting on the front row. Uh, I won't play any more sympathy cards. I, w- I would love for, for that to have been the way that something like this was happening. That would have been, that would have been my, just my ultimate dream. Um, but it hasn't. This is, uh, this is where uh, the Lord has us right now. And it's just a simple matter of me offering myself to the church. This is a position that I do desire. I'm not, I'm not going to say, well, I don't really care one way or the other. I do desire to serve in this capacity. Um, but I told the elders up front from the very beginning when I uh, agreed to serve as an interim and then made them aware of the fact that I was willing to, to step into that role permanently, said I would desire this. Um, I, um, I, I think that uh, the Lord has equipped me for this, uh, but I do not view this uh, as an inheritance that's you know, passed down to me because my dad was the previous pastor, therefore it's owed to me. Um, I simply told them, as you guys wrestle with how this process is going to work itself out, and as the church comes to wrestle with this and discuss it, if at the end of the day the elders or the church body as a whole says, ah, we think maybe we need to look elsewhere or move in another direction, I'm, I'm not going to put up a, a fight or, you know, create a mess or anything like that. I'm, yeah, I'm just trusting that God's going to work one way or the other. Um, so... Why do I want to be senior pastor? I love the church. I want to see it healthy. I want to see it thrive. I think the Lord has equipped me for this ministry. Uh, I have a desire to do it. And um, I think some of the uh, unique opportunities that we have, um, I, can, I can help serve uh, in such a way that we, we take advantage of that to, uh, as we move forward. So that's my opening, sort of break up the ground a little bit and give you a chance to, to jump in now and ask a question. I will say as, as someone gets ready, I'm assuming someone will get ready to come down to the mic, otherwise this is going to be a very short meeting.
uh, I will say this, if, uh, if you continue to hem and haw, I've also had um, not quite, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six private meetings with people in my office who, you know, they called up, hey, could I come in and meet with you? And um, have had an opportunity to field some questions that way. So if, uh, if some of you are stumbling over what to ask or, or, uh, or something like that, I've got other questions that I can throw out on my own, but it wouldn't be near as fun. So Ken, hey, thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. I'm going to ask you two questions in one if I can. All right. Number one, what is your main priority in ministry, your main mm -hmm. priority? And then what's your two greatest passions? Um, a main priority in ministry, as, as I understand it, looking at Scripture, um, when Jesus gives his uh, instruction and encouragement to Peter in John 21, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then uh, from that, laying that passage alongside what Paul has to say to Timothy in uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, where Paul repeatedly uh, presses the idea home that, that, Timothy, what you need to pay attention to is your preaching and teaching. In fact, he goes so far as to say, pay close attention to your teaching, for by it you will ensure salvation for yourself and for your hearers. Right? So... I take it as a given that when I look in Scripture in the New Testament that the primary responsibility, the, if you could say uh, the priority in terms of what is of first importance is feeding the sheep. And I take it that it's not, uh, it's not a difficult connection to make, that feeding the sheep is feeding them with the Word. So if I were to look at the role of the lead pastor, I would say... Uh, my priorities would be uh, preaching, praying, and persevering with the sheep. I, I want to be, uh, I would like to be a shepherd who walks with the body of Edgewood all the way until our journey is over. You know, whenever that is. Uh, sort of the, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, the idea that we're on this journey to the celestial city. That's where, that's our ultimate destination and until we get there, we're just these pilgrims and strangers and aliens in this hostile world. And so we need each other as we're walking together to steal each other's nerves, to encourage one another, to instill confidence. And I want to be able to do that in such a way that, uh, that not only am I encouraging you to keep to the path in light of what God has revealed, um, but I take it with, uh, with great confidence that the nature of this body, that that would be reciprocal, that if I were to ever start to step off of the path, this body would let me know it and I would hear about it. Um, so, and then what was the second question? Two greatest passions. Two greatest passions uh, studying, and, studying the word, sharing the word, and the Atlanta Falcons. Is that okay? One, one creates more joy and the other sorrow, but um, no, I, t I tell you, the, the, two, the two sort of go hand in hand. I've, obviously, my love is, uh, I, I love the Word. I, I love spending time reading and studying, and especially to be able to do that, not just for the sake of, um, of you know, sort of nerding out uh, in solitude on my own, but to have the opportunity to be able to share that. There is nothing more rewarding 
at, at least for me, than to have those times when, um, you know, the lights come on for someone, right? Or um, you talk to them after the fact, and the Lord really used this passage to encourage me, or the Lord convicted me, or the, right, just to see the Lord do his work through his word, right? I love being in the word, and I love seeing the word have its effect in the lives of his people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All right. As an aside, we've really enjoyed the expository um, teaching that you've given in Sunday school through the years that we've attended Edgewood. Um, if you become head pastor, will we all have to suffer as Atlanta Falcons fans? Or is there room for a diverse theological approach to football? I mean the Bible. Yeah, no. There, there, is, no, there is no room for diversity. We will, we will walk in lockstep so that during the football season, we will chant with vigor, rise up. No, 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 not <laughs> roll tide. Oh, my goodness. Now, I, I hope that everyone's converted to be a Falcons fan and a lifelong Matt Ryan devotee before my tenure would be done. Thank you for that penetrating question. Hello, Go ahead, Pastor. Jeff. Hello, Pastor. Hey. <clears throat> Uh, I would just want everybody to know that I have been a member of this church and I pastor here, uh, was a little boy when I was a member of this church. And so I have grown up knowing him, knowing his family, knowing what they were made out of, and it just couldn't, couldn't be better. But the one thing, if I say one thing, I cannot believe the sermons that he gives. It's incredible. It's just absolutely incredible. Thanks, Jay. And when I turn on the TV sometimes, and there'll be a name, one, two, three person, whatever given, you know, it's only when I'm sick that I'm not in. Right. Can right. see that? But, uh, but he, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Hold on just a second. Thinking, thinking about, I was talking about different pastors and stuff, and absolutely, I, I don't see any of them anywhere this any better than Jonathan Merritt. I love his ministry. Uh, I, I mean, you you go from Genesis to Second Peter to wh whatever you know, and it's amazing how he puts all that together. And I've I've honestly never seen it done as well as he does. And so that's my thinking of uh, what kind of pastor that I think he would be. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. Let me, can I, can I put in a, a shameless plug for my wife and kids on that? Um, my, <clears throat> uh, I said I wasn't going to play a sympathy card. I'll, I'll do this one though. Um, my wife does a fantastic job as my wife, but also as, uh, as a mom. 
Um, we have, uh, since this interim period, we've had to do some adjusting in, in our home with schedules and, and responsibilities and everything. I just want you to know that I'd say a good 50% at least, if there's anything good that comes out of the sermon, that credit goes to, to my wife because she, give, she frees me up to be able to spend time working, reading, studying, preparing while all the energetic teenagers and soon-to-be teenagers are at the house. And I, I never have to give a minute's thought as to whether or not the house is on fire or whether or not we're about to be, uh, about to file for bankruptcy. She just, she manages everything so well. Uh, so just in this public setting, I'm getting it on record, all right? If it were not for my wife, and if it were not for even the encouragement of my kids who love to give me a hard time, but who I think deep down actually do love me, uh, this, this, even this, this interim period would not have been possible. So as you see them, thank them, give them a hug, pat on the back, whatever, commiserate with them. They put up with a lot, but I, I love them deeply. Kathy. Jonathan, if you become our lead pastor, what will be your, will you, will you carry on your dad's legacy with the Crisis Pregnancy Center? Yeah, good question. Um, the short answer to that is no. Um, the, the, the best way that, th this had been asked, of course, one of the things that happened um, as, as soon as uh, dad died was, you know, we were, um, we were sort of scrambling by we, I mean the leadership here at the church, out setting family aside for a minute, um, you know, here at the church, uh, this was, nobody expected it, nobody anticipated it, we're scrambling, trying to think of, okay, what do we do next, how do we, how is this going to work out? Of course, one of the things that, uh, that had characterized uh, my dad's ministry for so long was uh, his very close and tight connection with the uh, with sound choices and with the broader um, you know pro life movement. Um, the the short answer to that question is I I just don't have the I don't have the skills I don't have the familiarity I don't I don't know the players if that sounds sort of crude but I, I don't know the people the way that he did there there's no way that I could step in and even tread water in a position like that. It just, it just would not happen. So from, from my part though, um, I recognize that in part because of his leadership and because of his ministry, the church in a lot of ways had, uh, had come along and had provided support and encouragement for sound choices and when we would do some of the director's conferences and stuff like that. I fully anticipate that that will be something that we will be paying attention to. So on a, we mentioned this morning in the service, you know, we were planning on having a, a, a regular Sanctity of Life Sunday this next week, but then we just found out the, the week leading up to this Sunday that the Sound Choices people felt like it was best if they not do that this year. So like those sorts of things I anticipate we'll still continue to do, uh, but in terms of uh, me trying to manage or do the things related to sound choices or the broader pro-life ministry, that, that's just, that was a unique calling for my dad. Uh, it's, it's not a calling that I share, and I, that's, I don't know how else to say it. That's just, 
it's not what the Lord has, has called or equipped me to do. And so I think in, in, um, in a significant way then, one of the things that is going to happen with uh, his work in the pro-life movement, just like it's happening here at Edgewood, is the Lord is going to raise up other leaders, right? The pro-life, the pro-life movement did not depend on Andy Merritt. It depended on God moving on the hearts of his people and causing these things to come together in such a way that the church was you know, being mobilized to make an impact on this particular social, social issue. The church will continue to do that. It'll just do it without my father in that place right now, just like Edgewood will continue to live and move and serve and be the body of Christ. It'll just do it without Andy Merritt here, sadly. So that, yeah, I, I don't see that as being a part, of, uh, a part of my responsibility or my ministry description should I step into the, the lead pastor role. And what will happen to your current Sunday school class? Will you continue or discontinue teaching? Yeah, that's a question that's come up a couple times before, and, and I don't really know how to answer, answer that dogmatically right now. Uh, the... the for the simple reason that one of the, th- you see it, if you've been at Edgewood here when Pastor Howell was, was, the, was the lead pastor and then Andy Merritt and now whoever the next guy is going to be, just going from David Howell to Andy Merritt, right, you've got two totally different people who try to build on and further some of the, the work that's already been done, but just the giftings, the temperaments, the personalities, right, what they get their hands in just varies and differs in, in, uh, in, in several ways. I don't know, uh, as we go forward, if I were to serve in this role, I could, I could see myself still trying to do some teaching on Sunday morning and preach on Sunday morning, but I'll be honest, that's a lot to do on Sunday morning. And it also is, um, it, becomes, it becomes difficult sometimes to, to teach and then go right into preaching and to still be able to have the opportunity to interact with people in the run-up to the service especially, right? Because you're just, I'm doing this and then I'm doing that. So I love to teach. If I'm not doing it on Sunday morning, I assume that there will be other opportunities that maybe we'll intentionally create, but, uh, but I don't know. I do think, though, and I will say this, whether I continue to, uh, to do Sunday school or not in terms of teaching a class myself, um, I do anticipate that one of the things that will change is that I, I won't necessarily be teaching a class every Sunday from January to December that uh, we have other men in the body, and, and I, I'm just even speaking for the guys who are in my particular class, we've got men who can lead a, lead a Bible study uh, who are going to be in the enviable, not so enviable position of stepping up and, and uh, taking the opportunity to sort of sharpen their, their own skills and develop their own, their own teaching ministry for the good of the body. We don't, we don't need everything resting on one person, right? Someone else? I'm waiting for the two biggies to be asked. Go ahead, Don. I don't know that that's me. But no, 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 no. No, uh, um, no my, big, my biggest heart, um, I never was so proud of your father is 
Um, and I know we had a big church split at that time. But when he said that God looks on the heart, he does not look on the outside of man. Is that going to be your continued? Uh, if you become lead pastor, are you going to stand firm with Christ and look and let people know that they, from all walks of life, whatever kind of clothes they have, wherever they come from, that they're going to be welcome in this church, whether they're Yankee, <laughs> whether they're, <laughs> whether they're, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yes, and and in order to affirm my commitment to that, I'm married a Yankee, so. Yes. All right, and I'm happily married, so I have I have no problem with with non-southerners coming in coming into the church no yeah the short answer is um i i would hope listen i'm like anybody else who um if left to my own devices would gravitate like i like i was saying this morning would gravitate to the to the people that i'm most comfortable with i, I recognize that about myself i think we're all cre- uh, creatures who like comfort and familiarity uh, but at the same time, I think a, a greater display and demonstration of the work of God in our midst is when you, you've got a bunch of people who are not exactly the same, who are yet finding it a joyful experience to be here together because they love hearing the word of God spoken, because they love praying together, because they're committed to the same thing. So at the very least, I hope that one of the things, I, I trust he will, that one of the things that God will do will con- will be to continue to impress upon my mind and grow me in my conviction that the, um, the more diversity and complementary ways that this body begins to take shape, the better off we are. That it's, it's, a, it's a, a clearer picture to the world around us of what the saving grace of Jesus Christ is about, that it, it has nothing to do with your status in society or your education background or ethnicity or, or anything like that. So, I, yes, I, I would want Edgewood to continue to be an open and welcoming place until the Lord comes back. Someone else? Uh, I can also, if you'd like, I can also give you reasons that you might not like me. If that would, for, for that though, I, I'm at the top of the list, pitiful Atlanta Falcons fan, but for that I'd, I'd probably call my wife and kids in and I'd give them the opportunity to give testimonials. Um, let me, for, the, uh, for some of the people who had come in um, to talk with me privately by sharing some of these questions with you. Um, a couple of these questions were repeat questions from different people. So I take it that if, if you hear a question from not just one person, but two people, three people, that somewhere along the line, somebody is talking, right? So let me go ahead and, and throw some of those questions out. Uh, one question that I got uh, more than once was, what's the deal with no invitation? Right, uh, so I would always say, "Thank you for asking that question." So let me let me tell you why it is that uh, that for the for the most part we have not had what I would call a traditional invitation like we've done for so many years here at Edgewood. And, and you understand what I mean by that? Like we get to the end of the sermon, and 
pastor comes down to a friend, I can, I, I can almost hear my dad verbatim, right? If anyone has a decision of any nature that they'd like to make, so on and so forth, right? Profession of faith, you want to join the church, come down, share it with me, we'd love to, and so on and so forth. And so Andy sings and plays a hymn while the pastor stands up front and waits for, you know, for someone to come down or at least gives the opportunity for someone to come down. Let me, let me just start on the, um, usually that's presented or that has been presented here at Edgewood in two components, that an invitation is for the, the benefit of someone who intends to make a, a public profession of faith or, and or, for someone who wants to, uh, to join the church, who wants to become a member of the church, okay? Let me start with, with one that I, I think is a, is a little bit more clear and easy to, easy to explain. Someone who would come down to make a public profession of faith. The, the, reason, the reason that I don't do an invitation is not because of Calvinism or is not because of any sort of, um, you know, doctrinal sort of thing. It, it's a shepherding issue for me. It's a, it's a pastoral concern. And I, and I usually explain it in three ways. One, the culture has changed, right? 20 years ago, if you offered someone or if you said to them, would you like to become a Christian or would you like to give your, your life to Christ or something like that? Would you like to make your profession of faith? Even if someone was not a Christian or not spent a lot of time in church, the odds are 20 years ago, they would at least have some idea of what you were talking about, right? That Jesus saves you from your sin, that if we're not saved, we're going to be judged, and therefore they have some sort of framework that they already have in place where we can talk that kind of language and they know what I'm saying to them and they can come down and make some sort of response. I don't think that's where our culture is anymore. Right? I, I don't think that we can assume that by making a statement like that, that, that a, a person who has, not been, um, who has not been taught here at Edgewood, who is new to the faith or is being exposed to the faith, I don't think that I can assume that when I say something like, would you like to make a public profession of faith, I don't think I can assume that they know what I'm talking about when I say that. Second... Because of that, because the, the whole cultural worldview framework is shifting, even in the Bible Belt, the second thing is it puts me in a very awkward position as a pastor, whether lead pastor or not, because the position that I'm in, I'm standing down front, Andy singing, anyone have a decision of any nature? Here comes, let's say, Joe. Joe comes down, he had been invited to church, and he comes down to say that he wants to uh, give his life to Christ. This is the first time that I've had any interaction with Joe. First time. I don't have any idea what his motivation is. I don't have any idea what his story is. I don't have any idea if the Lord has been working on him prior to this Sunday morning. I don't have any idea if there's any sort of social pressure that's at play, like his wife has given him an ultimatum, you better get some religion or I'm out of here. I don't know any of that. But he comes down and tells me that he wants to give his life to Christ. And then on the spot, right, I'm essentially in a position where I'm trying to discern before we get done with this verse of the hymn, whether or not this is a genuine confession of faith in Jesus Christ. 
I don't have the capacity to do that. You chalk it up to, chalk it up to my inexperience, chalk it up to my dim-wittedness. I, I just don't want to be in a position where I have to make that kind of a judgment call. And then third, closely related to that, is that typically the way that an invitation has worked here at Edgewood is that after that person has come down, that person then is presented to the church, and I would say, Joe has come down this morning to make his profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So for the average church member, what they're seeing is, here's a new Christian. I don't know if he's a new Christian, but he's been presented as if he were a new Christian. So what happens if Joe is here this Sunday, but then never darkens the door of the church again? Is, is that what genuine faith looks like? Like, I would want our church to, to be growing and to understand that when you are put into the body of Christ, you are put into the body of Christ. So that it's not just you come to make your statement and then, okay, thanks, I got it, I'll see you, but that there is a process. And I think part of this then can be reflected biblically, scripturally, in the cautions and concerns that Jesus himself gives when he gives the parable of the, of the soil. There are people who, when they hear the word, they respond enthusiastically to the gospel message, and then shortly thereafter you find out there's actually no real root. They dry up and wither. So from, from my part then, what I, I would then turn the corner and say, okay, but it's not that I don't want to challenge people to respond to the message that they've heard, right? If the Lord is, is actually working on their heart, even if this is the first time that they've darkened the door of a church, I want them to do business with God. I want them to bend the knee, right? But... Because our, our goals and our desires are the same, what my appeal would be, can we, can we do the same thing but just in a slightly different way? So what if, for example, instead of doing the traditional invitation and then the pastor goes to the back and shakes hands with people as they walk out the door, what if on, uh, whether it's every Sunday or certain Sundays, what if the pastor said, you know what, this Sunday, we're going, to have, uh, we're going to have Banks or Alan or Terry or Jonathan or Andy or one of our deacons. We're going to have them stand at the door to shake hands as people leave. And I'm going to stand down front here. And if you have something that you want to talk about, you feel like the Lord is moving on your heart and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm going to be right here. You, you, come, you come talk to me and I'll be right here visible up front and center. You want to talk about joining the church? come down here and talk to me. And then we have the opportunity not to be in this pressure. We got to make sure that we're done because it's almost 12 o'clock. And yes, did you say this? Yes, I said this. And okay, good. Then I guess everything's above board. But I actually have the opportunity to be able to talk, to engage, to try to discern, right, what, what is happening with this person so that as this person then begins to be brought under the ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church, whether as a new convert or as a new member, we as a church can with greater confidence say every indication so far as we can tell is that this person has had a genuine conversion to Jesus Christ, a new birth experience. The lights have come on, the eyes are open, deaf ears can hear. Or if they want to be a member of the church, we enthusiastically welcome them, encourage them and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. You give me your number, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to let you know when our next new members class is. You come do that, you meet with some of the elders and everything so that we can get a, a, a record or hear you describe your conversion to Christ. 
so that we can affirm that, so that when we bring you before the church, for the church to affirm you, everybody's walking in, walking in lockstep. So that has been a question that's come to me over and over again, and, and I understand why, because the, the feel is if you're, if you're not giving an invitation, you're not giving people an opportunity to respond to the gospel or to become a part of the church. And then an, an extension of that would be, and if we're not doing those things, the church just is going to have it sort of a, a closed, insular type feel to it. And that, that is not my intent at all. I want to throw the doors open to say, people, you come down and talk and let us begin to walk with you through this process, but in a way that we're doing so responsibly and carefully uh, for the good of this body and for the protection of this church's reputation and integrity, not just among each other, but with the, with the city in which we live, right? I don't know if that's satisfying at all, but that, that's, that's the way that I've answered the question about invitations. Dora. Jonathan, I understand your heart. I understand exactly what you're saying. Culture has changed, but Christ has not changed. What happens if a total stranger comes into this church and is by the Holy Spirit dealt with? Maybe they're, you know, have dealt with something, just rode by and mm -hmm. saw the church and stopped. And you preached. And God dealt with that person. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right. Take your time. And at the end of that service, this was not the particular assigned time, if mm -hmm. I'm understanding you correctly, that, that um, you would have an altar call or present an oh. opportunity what would happen is that man walked out the door and on his way home, he had an accident and he was right. killed. Right. And he never had that opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity. Am I misunderstanding what you're saying? Uh, yes, a little bit. Okay. Thank you for the clarification, though. Yes, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that um, that we would say, okay, the first Sunday of every month will allow people to make a profession of faith or anything. I'm saying I would be perfectly happy to do that every single Sunday, right? But the, but the simple point that I'm making is creating an opportunity where I would have or any, any pastor would have the opportunity to be able to have a meaningful conversation with them, right? To walk them through the, uh, the message of, uh, of the gospel to talk about what Christ means, yes, so that if the Lord is working with them on that Sunday, they came in off the street and they don't know anything about Jesus Christ. They can leave here knowing with as much certainty as what we can muster, 
right, that, that they have been born again. Absolutely. No, I'm not saying that we, would, that we would schedule and we would only say there are only these times that you can make a profession of faith. I mean, that, that was probably a, a misstatement on my part. My intent was that we create an opportunity to be able to, uh, to get into deeper engagement with them on matters of faith, especially if the Lord is working on their heart and mind. Okay. I visited churches where they actually, at the end of the service, have assigned men, women, mm-hmm. for anyone who wants to talk to someone and sure. you say that to them. Yeah. They'll take you back to the choir room, uh, talk to you. Could we not do something like that? Yes, of course we could. That, yeah, okay. that, gets to, that gets to the very point I'm making. Even in that situation, though, what you're doing is you're, you're, taking, you're taking that person's response out of this super compressed time frame, and you're saying this is too important for us just to to mention in passing before we get done with this song because we've got people who are itching to go and we feel this, you know, this pressure on us. This is too important. Let us go back. Let's talk. Or you sit right here and we'll talk at the conclusion of the service. I'm not going to go anywhere except for stay right here so that I can talk to you. Yes, by all means, there are any number of ways that you can do that. I'm just simply saying that I think it, it, is, it is difficult and at times even unhelpful to, to have those kinds of confessions and decisions and even uh, prayer opportunities to be done in that small of a window of time, that, you, that that is not something that you want to rush. You want to give all of your attention and all of your time to it to make sure that as faithfully as possible, you're walking with this person in, uh, in the way that God is working on their heart and mind. We used to have here um, a new members class. You did mention that yes. a little while ago. Uh-huh. We have not had that in quite a while. Quite a while. I don't know how long, but other than for Andy to invite, you know, people to his house for dinner and, and be a part of the small group. Are you planning to initiate a new members class? And in that old one that Brother David used to conduct, he would actually teach them doctrines of our church. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that or not. Maybe some of you older ones that are in here would remember. But that would be helpful to this person. That I mean, because a, a lot of people, I would think, I know when I came here, I thought I was saved. Mm-hmm. And it was through those teachings in the new members class that I realized I truly was not saved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, I've said all I need to say, but um, I just hope that even in a situation, like for somebody who know, who has not been exposed, I believe the reason that so many people have walked down this aisle and come a few Sundays and left is because they've not been either helped to get into mm-hmm. a Sunday school class or some sort of new members class to, to, to get that food that they need 
I have a sister in my house right now who's struggling emotionally. And the most difficult thing that I have encountered with her is getting her to see the need to get into the Word of God herself, mm -hmm. which is, for me, was the key mm -hmm. to my growth, to my spiritual growth. Yeah, and thank you, Dora. On the, uh, the new members class that, uh, that Dora had mentioned, one of the things that when, um, won't do a, a lengthy history of this, when, one of the things that we did that was, a, that was a change, for years and years, Pastor Howe had done a new members class during the Sunday school hour. And as a matter of fact, I don't know how many, like Dora was saying, I don't know how many years that he did that, but he was, in, in the Sunday school hour, he was teaching a class for new members, and then people who were not so new members who just wanted to stay with Pastor Howe. But he, but he taught every Sunday in order to give them an opportunity to, to know and understand what the church was about, like as Dora was saying, basic doctrine and stuff like that. One of the things that, that changed here was that that, um, that new member, whether you want to call it a class or orientation or something like that, we uh, worked that around or shifted that around to where we were uh, making that part of the small group effort that we were doing. And one of the things, unfortunately, that happened when COVID hit was that going back to whenever it was, March, I guess, of, of last year, right? I mean, we basically weren't having any evening activities here at the church, and that was when uh, that class would, would take place. It, he would, uh, Patty uh, would have a, a record of the people who had filled out a visitor card or who would express interest in joining the church. We would contact them and say, okay, hey, uh, we're having a new members class starting on this date for X number of weeks, would you like to come, or can we count on you coming? And they, they would say, yes, come, we'll give you food. You sit in here, we'll talk about the church, we'll talk about doctrine, our beliefs, we'll talk about the way that our church is set up, uh, so on and so forth over a span of weeks. But then, obviously, COVID prevents that from, from happening in the way that we were normally doing it. Going forward, though, to Dora's point, yes, doing some sort of, whether you want to call it a new member's class or new member orientation, that would most certainly be something that we would do as a way to try to not only, um, this sounds awfully clinical, but to assimilate people into the body, right, to, to get them to understand who we are here at Edgewood, what we're about to, again, instill in them some sort of functional understanding of the Christian faith as we understand it here so that they can be a part of it, and then also to be able to give them a chance to actually get to tie into the church, not just so that they're getting information, but that they're actually having an opportunity to get FaceTime with uh, with a pastor, with elders. Uh, there are other things that we can do in terms of being able to um, get them connected to the body. So yes, the short answer to that question is there would be a new members class for people who would be desiring to join the church. And as a matter of fact, that would be something that we would insist on if they were going to be uh, a member of Edgewood. We would, we would not only encourage, we would say, we think this is so important and essential that you must take part in this class before we can, we can go forward on this because we want to make sure that from this point on, we're, we're walking in unity together and no one is, is going to be turning around you know, a month or a year later saying, hey, wait a minute, I didn't know you guys were like this. Well, 
We're giving it all to you up here so that we're all on the same page. So, yes, thank you, Dora. Lee. Jonathan, would you agree that the salvific call of Christ is effectual? And secondly, do you see that being uh, taught line upon line uh, in season, out of season? Uh, so often, I'm afraid, and I've expressed this in my Sunday school class, so often I'm afraid people uh, make that decision publicly and walk out of here as lost as they were when they came in. Mm -hmm. And the call of Christ is irresistible, mm -hmm. in my way of thinking. I'm not trying <clears throat> to put words in your mouth. But if he is calling, he affects what he calls. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would just like for you to speak to that, just briefly, just any, any way you'd like to, to just maybe clarify it a little bit um, for old people like me. <laughs> uh, yes, the short answer is I, uh, I would say that, uh, that when, uh, when God called me, uh, to salvation, that that was an effective, effectual, effectual call, that he worked on my heart in such a way that I was irrevocably drawn to him, right? Um, to your point, I, I think that's one of the things, if, if I can sort of bridge the gap between the discussion about um, a traditional invitation and conversion, I think that's one of the things that, that ought to be considered and ought to be wrestled with. We, we would all agree that God does not, does not need an invitation or a new member's class or anything like that in order to save someone, right? Salvation is of the Lord. He does it, right? That being said, though, because of the fact that God has founded the church as the bride of Christ because he has ordained the way in which his people are identified in which they gather together, he has given us means by which we bring people into, into that body. And so we want to be sensitive. On the one hand, there's nothing that I do that makes someone's conversion legitimate. They are a child of God because of a unique work of the Holy Spirit on their heart and mind, bringing them to saving faith in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Nevertheless, or precisely because of that, because it's a work of God, it is possible for someone and I think we would all agree on this. It is possible for someone to make an empty profession, to, to mouth the words, and for it not really to mean anything. They're just seeing it as, oh, I come down, I say this, and I get my get-out-of-jail-free card, I get my fire insurance. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, right? So it, I, th I think that's just where you come back and you say that's where we, that's where we as a church should want to be, um, on the one hand, very encouraging, to people who are, who are responding to the message that they've heard. I, I don't want to dissuade someone from stepping out or responding when they hear the Word of God preached to them, but I, but I definitely want to make sure, just like I would with my own kids. My kids know from a very young age, they knew how to parrot things back to me that Dad wanted to hear. And then the little grubby things would turn around and, you know... No, she, right, 
That's the way it happened with me too, right? So it's, it's not that I'm going to dissuade that. If, if my son or daughter is asking me questions or if they're saying, Dad, I think I want to be a Christian, I don't say, what do you know about that? Come back to me in another year. I rejoice over that because I am taking this with all the hope and faith and love and sincerity that Jesus Christ can cultivate in my heart. I'm taking this as a sign that God is working and moving on that heart. And I want to try to be a faithful servant that waters and tills and stirs and pokes and prods and persuades all this, walking with them to see evidence of a genuine work of God. I want to see that that fruit is there, that it's not just an empty profession. So yes, I I do think that when God begins that work of salvation on someone, that it's an effective work, and that he he works in such a way to to bring conviction and transformation to our hearts, that we are irrevocably drawn to him with all the joy and freedom that these little weak bodies can muster. That's... I don't know if that, that gets to Paul. All right, Jonathan. I, the tough question, what is your favorite color? No. Uh, <laughs> I, I had to get that one out. Well, you know, we all have different stories. You know, we all, the Lord draws us each one. And, of course, we know the spirit, you know, the, the word, the power of that is what, what brings us ultimately to him. And, you know, I, I was 25. You know, a lot of times... People never know a time that they didn't know the Lord. So all of our experiences are different. But God is faithful. You know, he's not going to let us slip out of his hand. You know, he's going to complete the good work that he's begun in us. And, and each one of us are going through that sanctification process. And God uses different things to move us along to maturity. And my question to you is, uh, you know, outside of Scripture and, of course, the Holy Spirit moving our are there certain books or men or things that uh, have influenced you and helped you along the way? And I know as we go along, sometimes we get new insight, you know, but all of it builds, it builds and it keeps creating a maturity in us that reflects, hopefully, that we're more Christ-like. Uh, could you, not way drawn out or anything, but can you, uh, you just kind of give us a, an idea about how that is uh, how God's worked in your life that way to, to grow you to where you are. Sure. I, um, I, think, I, I think I came to faith in an, at an early age. I think um, the, 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 the people who had the greatest impact on me were my parents, right? And partly because of the example that they gave, but partly because... Um, of the uh, relationship that I had with my dad, uh, that gave me my foundation. The probably the most dramatic Christian growth for me was uh, was when I was out of the house at Bible College and Seminary, right? Because you're you're away from home, away from mom. That you're in one sense you can sort of almost start over if you want. You, you can do whatever you, whatever you want, especially when you don't feel any kind of social pressure of uh, of you know, dad as a pastor and, and people watching and stuff. Um, but at the, Bible and college and sem- at the Bible College and Seminary, uh, the work of God on my heart through his word, uh, there were a couple key moments that, you know, I won't necessarily go into now, but just 
where it's just sort of like the lights are turned on, right? You, you, you get what this means as far as sanctification goes, what this means about, uh, about purity, about uh, walking with the Lord. Uh, and so there were pivotal moments along the way where the Lord was very kind and gracious uh, once or twice through deep-seated conviction and uh, in grief over sin to uh, regular encouragement, right? It was just a, a special environment for me. Um, the, the next thing, probably the, uh, the biggest thing to date uh, that has been a part of my sanctification progress has, uh, has been marriage and uh, being a father. And I don't say that in any sort of a flip way as a way to say, oh, yeah, my wife and kids. I mean, nothing revealed to me my selfishness and self-centeredness than being married and having kids, right? Nothing that. I, I mean, I would admit to that, and if anyone asked me, Jonathan, are you a sinner by nature, and are you selfish? And, and I would say, oh, yeah, yeah. That did not come home to me until all of a sudden I'm living with another person who does not always think the way that I do and does not always want to do the things that I want to do. And then we team up together to create these little creatures that have their own way of thinking and their own likes and their own interests and music and hobbies and stuff like that. I just, my wife and my family, I mean, God has graciously used those relationships and I love my wife to death. I love each and every one of my kids. And for all of that love, God has uh, also uniquely used them to be a sanctifying influence on my life because of my need to have my sin exposed and to see my own weakness and my own imperfections. Uh, and, then, and then beyond that, I would just say, I, I do think that one of the ways that the Lord continues to grow me is through continual study in the Word. I, I just, I, I just, I'm convinced that if I had a thousand lifetimes, I would never get to the end of this. Never. And so I continue to read, I continue to study, I continue to listen to what other people have gleaned, and I read what other people have gleaned, and I just continue to be amazed at how big God is. I just, I, I can't get over it. And so that, in a, in a significant way, along with the personal relationships, the unique personal ways in which God has, has worked on me faithfully, persistently over the years in spite of myself... Um, that coupled with uh, his faithfulness to cause his word to be effective in my heart and mind, those are the things that have, uh, you know, I would say have been the, the biggest shapers in a sanctifying sort of way for, for my life. Obviously, it's all what the Spirit is doing through God's faithfulness and through the, the covenant of Christ, but yeah. Uh, on, on your readings, are, are there certain men or... <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of broad. The question was, are in your reading, are there certain men that have have been more influential or you know more effective? And uh, there are, and I and I can give you a couple names. The the honest answer is though that some of that has even gone through phases. So, I, nerd alert! I went through a Walter Kaiser phase when I was in seminary. I'm getting everything that Kaiser wrote, and I'm reading his Old Testament stuff. Then I go through a. Moises Silva phase, right? All of you have these books on your shelf, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I love Silva. He, right? 
No, you don't. All right. Yeah. So I went through went through phases. Um, I would say in terms of uh, longevity, uh, uh, a guy that I love to return to over and over again, D.A. Carson, is a is a big favorite of mine. Uh, anytime he writes something, I want to get my hands on it because I know it's going to be good and I know it's going to be challenging. Um, I I um, I think from. My teenage years, I got my first introduction to C.S. Lewis. I would have got my first introduction to Lewis as a kid with the Chronicles of Narnia, but then reading things like Mere Christianity, The Problem of Pain, The Abolition of Man, even though I didn't understand it at the time that I read it. But I've, I've, I go back to Lewis over and over again because there's no one who can give an analogy or an illustration like Lewis that just sort of opens your mind to be able to say, ah, yes, okay, that's how you, you explain it. Um, so Lewis and Carson, uh, I like reading guys that are, are long dead and gone. I, th I think one of the benefits of reading old books is that they've stood the test of time, and it's easier to see where they fall short than to read things that are just always fresh off the press because we're not so good at recognizing the, the faults and the weaknesses to people who share our own particular era and perspective. So I want to read people who are older, wiser, who have spent far more time thinking deeply on these things and yeah, but so I yeah, I don't know if I don't know if that helps at all. Shall I throw another question out? This is not fair that a third of the work I'm apparently doing for myself here. <laughs> All right. The, uh, with conversations that I've had uh, prior to this Q&A, uh, one of the, the questions that uh, was repeated over and over again was seeking clarity on, um, on the invitation. Uh, the other question was related to Calvinism. All right. So let's just go ahead and address it. All right. If someone were to ask me, uh, Jonathan, are you a Calvinist? I would say very humbly, very calmly, very peaceably, I am. All right. In saying that, this is, this is what I mean by that. As, as I look at, through Scripture, how the work of salvation comes about, all right, we're, we are all by nature systematicians, right? When you, take a, when you take a lot of stuff and you try to synthesize it and put it together, you, you have to systematize it in some way, all right? For me, this has not always been the case. As a matter of fact, this was not the case when I first came to Edgewood. This is something that, uh, ironically enough, was a slow, gradual process after being here. It was not in rebellion to my father. It was not in rebellion to anyone in the church. It was just, you know, I don't know what it was, okay? But that being said, what, what I would say, what I would just try to uh, communicate clearly and humbly is, as I look at how God works in salvation, I have become convinced that when you try to say, how do you explain this in total, I have found Calvinism's explanation convincing, all right? Now, I would quickly say, right, with a smile on my face and lightheartedness, I'm not a rabid Calvinist, all right? I do not want to nor plan to preach Calvinism from the pulpit, okay? Um, I, uh, I would love it 
if everyone agreed with me, my home would be happier, right? My extended family relationships would be happier and easier. It, it really does, does not bother me for, for people to, dis- to disagree with me on that, I, right? I, I, don't, I don't care. And here's one of the reasons why I don't lose any sleep over it. The three men who have, who have had the most profound impact on my life, my dad, first and foremost, uh, Dave Shive, who, um, I would have, um, who knew my parents, but I would have uh, reconnected with him at the Bible College and Seminary, and then our pastor up in Maryland, Jim Shoopy. All three of those men, the biggest, most significant impact and spiritual influencers on my life, every single one of those men, non-Calvinist and would actually push against, as in, if you press them, they would argue against Calvinism. Those were some of the most godly, scripture-loving men that I have ever had the privilege of meeting in my life. And I know firsthand, because I spent time with them, that they were the real, genuine article. I do not have an evil, wicked thing to say about my dad because he did not agree with me on every point of theology. I just won't do it. All right. Furthermore, because of the fact that I know firsthand that there are men and women who do not see eye to eye with me on some of these things, I do not doubt that they love Christ. I do not doubt that they love the word. And I do not doubt that we can peacefully live together in such a way that we can make much of Christ and make everything else look little and small. Amen. All right. So I, I just want you, to know, want you to know that, that that has come up multiple times. It's been, I'm, I mean, in private conversations, we've, at times we've even been able to laugh at it a little bit because I, I don't know that I've ever stood behind a, a, a lectern or the pulpit and said, I, hi, my name's Jonathan Merritt, I'm a Calvinist, and I have been for X number of years. I've, I've, never, identif- I've never identified myself that way, but somehow or another... Right, you know, word sort of gets out, or people begin to get sneaking suspicions. Oh, he's not giving an invitation. I wonder if that's because, right, those sort of things, and and so you know, people start to talk again. That that's fine. I'm I'm happy to address anything related to that. I don't feel defensive about it. Um, I don't feel like I have to have to win any kind of debate or argument about that. And just as far as the as the church goes, um, I understand coming on on the heels of uh, my dad's tenure as senior pastor, he was, he was not a Calvinist. He and I joyfully coexisted together. We had more issues just being father and son than we did Calvinist and non-Calvinist, all right? We, we made it work, and we were happy to make it work. We didn't have any trouble with that, all right, because we loved each other. Um, and, I, and I would just go to say, if at this point... You've, you have been able to, to sit under my teaching and preaching and have been able to benefit from that and have not felt like I'm trying to, to preach a system to you or trying to convince you of this angle or that angle. I mean, I fully anticipate that that's the way it would be going forward. I, I don't plan on, on changing my preaching or teaching style once I get, an, uh, or once I get, if I were to get a new title. I'm not, I'm not looking to pull a fast one on anyone. All right? And even if I did, I think y'all are perfectly capable of showing me the door. All right? If a church in Northampton could do that with someone like Jonathan Edwards, you can certainly do it with Jonathan Merritt. 
So, yeah, there it is. It's all, it's all out on the table. Yeah, Dan. Thank you, John. I really appreciate your ability to research the work. That's a gift in and of itself, and yet to take the points of interest and pull them together like a fine painting, you, that's where your heart is. And I am so thankful that you're not an evangelical running up and down the aisles kind of guy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, there, there's places and times for that type of stuff, but, mm -hmm. you know, we, we older folks need that meat and potatoes to sustain us because we'll lose weight if we don't. And I, I know that I know, I've known you a long time and I've, I've seen you grow and, and the depth of your skills and knowledge and, and attributes are seen in your children. That tells me about the character. Thanks. So you have the character, you have the skill sets to help us grow and finish the race. So I wanted to thank you for all that you're doing and have done that have gone unseen and unrewarded. Thanks, Dan. The, the last thing that I want to ask, I actually have a question. Um, I know that your dad did counseling. Have you studied any counseling programs in your studies? Uh, I'm trying to think how much to, uh, to reveal here. Um, and the short answer is I have not spent near as much time reading up on counseling as I have in studying, studying the word, right? Mm -hmm. That go. Uh, and let's just say this way, in my seminary coursework, we had a pastoral ministry and a pastoral counseling class. I think it was a pastoral counseling class that actually, let's just say I did not do well in it, right? <laughs> Just leave it at that. Um, that being that being said, th th that's that really is a is a tough issue. There are times when a pastor is is brought uh, something is brought to his attention or a need or a counseling issue that goes beyond his competency, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if you sometimes things related to addiction or uh, yes. abuse or something like that, where the pastor doesn't necessarily need to say, well, that's sort of above my pay grade. Let me give you someone else. He continues to walk with that person, but needs to, needs to draw on some professional, right, some professional counselors who are, who are better equipped and better trained to do that. Uh, more often than not, though, I think for the, um, for the, regular counseling ministry of the church or that a pastor would have with the body, uh, it's, it's going to be the right discerning application of the word to okay. the various challenges right. of life, right? Scripture, all scripture is inspired and it's profitable for all of the instruction, correction, reproof that we need. And there's nothing better that I could give someone than to say, this is what the Lord says. I appreciate right. your teaching and your preaching. All of that uh, even lights light in our lives that have been dark that we haven't even seen because Thanks, the way you teach. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Someone else? Linwood? 
know we've been um, challenged with you know our COVID restrictions, um, but I'm just curious as to whether we will eventually get back to outreach uh, to grow with the church. You mentioned growth of the church. Yeah. And then also uh, having our altars, using our altar, having a you know a time where people can come and pray at the altar or getting on our using our uh, kneelers. Uh, that kind of thing, will that be incorporated back in our worship services? Yeah, that's a good question. As, as far as the outreach goes, I, I would not know how to answer that right off because it, I guess it would depend on if, if you have something specific in mind. Like, are, are you referring, like, to some of the things that we've done with Grow in the past right. or? Correct. Yeah. Um, yes. Part of that would also be even... Uh, in a similar way, trying to accomplish those same things um, with uh, practices that we could even add on to that. So, for example, um, one of the things that uh, that I would hope that we we would be able to do, for example, even with the new church software that we got a year ago, two years ago, uh, we have the ability to do some new networking things and to be able to uh, to track people better, um, to do things where we can make uh, personal contacts with people. I just spoke one of the guys who's been one of the younger soldiers who's been coming to the uh, church here for a while has started to plug in with uh, with our Wednesday night Bible study and stuff like that and I just said to him on his way out you know you you've been coming for several weeks I don't actually know very much about how you got here or what your story is and you know we're trying to set up a time on Saturday to go grab some coffee or something like that um, I would love to see some of those things happen more organically in the in the church where you know as we're growing as a body we recognize that sort of the the work of bringing people in and making them feel welcome is something that that we all take part in and we do it as opportunity it presents itself to us but then yes i think there are times when you can look and you can say uh, along with just sort of the natural living it out day to day week to week from from time to time there may be uh, a good place to have sort of a concerted effort or a push on this particular area. You know, we haven't seen uh, these people who are listed as members. Uh, can we make over the next, you know, however many numbers of weeks or something like that, can we make a hard push to see if we can't get them back in or to find out why they aren't here? I think all of those things are important. Right. Um, I would love to see us try to be, even just individually in all the places where we're scattered around in the workplace, Try to be a little bit more conscientious and intentional, even about uh, strategically trying to be uh, a witness and sort of an inviting sort of witness to people that we're rubbing shoulders with already. Right. I'll just use I just use myself as an example. I, the where we where we live, I've got people who are um, a few houses down from me, uh, military couple. I don't have. They've been in. I don't know for how many months or even years now. I I still have not have not had an opportunity, created an opportunity to formally introduce myself to them and to see if I have an opportunity to witness and to share Christ with them. Right. That's sitting right outside my front door, right? right? That should be a no-brainer. Right. So, and then what, and what was the second one? The, the oh, authors the, yeah. just having a time to where we used to, you know, if somebody had a prayer concern, they could go to the altar. You had a, I know you, I like the way you, prepare us for worship. Yes. I think that is super. Yeah. Um, it's definitely needed. Uh, but just to use our kneelers, you know, more, more so. I know that 
there's COVID restrictions that probably prohibit us from, um, you know, coming to the altar, you know, um, overall, but, you know, just having that opportunity incorporated back in the services again. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, um, I would love for us to see, I would love to see um, in our corporate service, and, you know, there would be other things that we could, we could think about beyond that. I would love for us to see, love for us to see, I would love to see uh, for us to incorporate uh, a few more opportunities for prayer in the service. Um, wh- uh, whether that's to, uh, to have a prayer, even on a weekly basis, a uh, um, uh, prayer that expresses our desire to confess and our, our sin and to be right with God, to be thankful for his forgiveness, um, you know, Amen. a prayer for the body in general, for, for needs that are represented. The difficulty with that, I'll just be, be honest with you, the difficulty in doing something like that, you, you do have to work it into the service, which that's not the issue, but there is a there is a time and a place for different types of prayer, and so what you would accomplish, say on a in a Wednesday night prayer meeting, you're going to be able to to approach group prayer there in a way that would be different than what you would do in a corporate setting on Sunday right. morning. Just like you would be able to do different things with a men's prayer group on Saturday morning with the prayer breakfast. Right. But yes, in general, I, w- I would love to see us incorporate more prayer into the service um, as, as a sort of a, uh, a rhythm, a regular rhythm of our, our church life, of our corporate worship experience here. Okay. And I have one other question. Um, you, as a lead pastor, you would also be responsible, as I understand it, for all the ministerial staff. How would you manage all the the, the ministerial, what would be your approach, your management style and managing our ministers overall, the ministerial staff? Yeah, um, I, think with, I think both with the, with the body and with the pastoral staff, um, and I, I meant to bring that book, and I, I didn't, I'm, I apologize. Um, one of the things that the Lord has, has been um, working on me and, and convicting me about is uh, the need to uh, is the need to shepherd and to and to shepherd well. Right. So I know what my bent is I, because I love to get in the Word and I love to study and I love to read. Right? If if given the freedom, I would probably lock myself away and say, "All right, we'll see all y'all later. Just give me a stack of books and I'll be happy." Right? Kind of a thing. But that's that's not the full scope of the ministry, right? So in the same way that I would want to see the, the church leadership here begin to grow and excel in our ability to shepherd the, uh, the membership, the, the flock that we have here at Edgewood, I think one of the key ways to, um, to work with the pastoral staff is to take that same kind of approach as well. So taking time, uh, actually spending time with them to uh, on a regular basis to talk about everything from what have you been re- uh, reading in the Word? How's the Lord been working on you? Tell me what you've been doing this week or what you did in the, in the week prior with your, uh, with your work, right? Your, your ministry labor. Who are you contacting? What are the problems that are creeping up? That sort of thing. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science and it's, it's, it's not super complicated, but it's sort of a, I'm, I'm intentionally going to plant myself here and the only way that, that you're going to be able to continue to, to serve with me is if we're having these kinds of conversations and, and these sorts of things are being put out on the table 
good, bad, and ugly, right? All of those things. Um, so I, I guess the leadership style, what I'm desiring anyway, and, and this is going to be a work that God is going to continue to have to do with me. Um, I, I want, I really want to grow in shepherd-like qualities more so than I want to grow as a manager or as uh, a talent scout or a personnel guy or something like that. I, I want to shepherd people to maturity in Christ. Right. Uh, and, I, and I hope I would be able to do that with, um, with the knuckleheads that I work with as well, you know? <laughs> I say that with the sound guy up there. All of a sudden, I start to have trouble with the sound. <laughs> Alan? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. If you didn't hear that, yeah, if you didn't hear that, Alan was just following up on uh, Linwood's question about prayer and saying that we do have a, a prayer group that meets on Wednesday nights, uh, 6.30 to 7.30 in the CLC. Um, so that would be a, a fantastic um, opportunity for you to actually get in. And, and one of the best things about that prayer time, as far as uh, the church praying together, that's one of the best times to, to be able to hear about some of the needs that are existing in the body. So I know one of the things, for example, that, um, uh, that the senior did uh, in his ministry, his, his day to visit the hospitals was on Wednesday. And so Wednesday afternoon, uh, he and, and Jay, where Jay, yeah, he and Jay, would head out to the hospitals. Anyone that was on the board, they would stop in and see him, and they would get, okay, what's the latest? And then they would come in on Wednesday night, and he would be able to say, okay, you know, here's who we have in the hospital, and here's what's going on with them. So you can present those needs fresh, up-to-date. You can pray for that. You have opportunities then to say also, you know, here's what's going to be happening on the church calendar, or here's something that we've got coming up. We need to be thinking about that and praying for it. So Wednesdays are a great opportunity to be able to come in and to have a unique opportunity to pray for things that are directly connected to the life of the body and some of the things that are that are going on here. Okay, thank you. Alan said they're using that same format right now. Amy. My question was maybe not a question, but a general thought bubble. If you mm -hmm. um, we came here about six years ago, and because I wasn't raised in this church, I'm not plugged in, and I don't know all the little avenues that a person might know if they were maybe born and raised at Edgewood or have been here for 50 years. Right. Um, because of that, I'm a little more sensitive to when people come in the door and they don't know because I've been in those shoes yeah. pretty yeah. recently. Um, so from my very limited perspective, it appears to me and to most new people that I have talked with who have come to me who have said, hey, I'm glad you're here. Is this your first time here? Yeah. There's a limited communication from just what we offer as a church. And mm -hmm. I realize there's the website and there's Facebook, but to Joe Schmo walking in the door, there is no like, here's our newsletter, here's our bulletin yeah. board, check out and see what we have going on right now. There's a, the communication is not what it could be. So I was gonna throw out a low ball 
All right. If you could envision what improvements to communication could happen in our church yeah. for anybody yeah. walking in the door. Um, to give a personal example, we had, I mean, within the last three years, I've had at least eight couples come up to us and talk to me about youth ministry because they have kids. Mm -hmm. My kids aren't in youth age. I'm not familiar with it. I can't answer them. I'm the one person they talk to when they come in and they leave not knowing because I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't point them to, instead of call the church office, hey, here's a piece of paper that has the information you're looking for on it. Yeah. Or here's our, I don't know, I went to a church growing up that had a, like a weekly newsletter that was a little more detailed than maybe what we have right now to provide for your new person. Yeah. What would you envision, I guess, in the next five, ten years oh, to make improvements for communication yeah. to the church as a whole? Yeah. As for knowledge on existing ministry opportunities to serve yeah. as well as what we have to offer anybody coming in the door. Yeah. Uh, five or ten years, that's a generous window. Uh, what's that? A month? Okay. Uh, since she was actually at the mic, I'm going to run with the, uh, the five to ten window. No, okay. So, uh, first things first, I, I think it, it needs to be set up front that the nature of life is, is that you're, you're never really going to be in a position where you are going to be able to provide a static piece of information that answers every single question that every single person could possibly ask when they come into your church, all right? That being said, there are things that you can provide even statically, whether it's on a piece of paper, whether it's in a bulletin, whether it's in a newsletter or something like that, that can hit the things that are either essential or commonly asked questions, right? You, you tune yourself into these things and you begin to pick up on when people come and they're new, these tend to be the things that they're interested in, in knowing or learning or something like that. So for example, one of the things, just a very simple thing that could be done, the, the past several weeks, uh, I've been trying to remember every Sunday to tell um, if we have a guest or a visitor. You know, we've got a visitor card on the back of the pew in front of you. Well, essentially what that visitor card is doing is it's asking them to give, to give information, right, on themselves. It would probably be nice if either on that same card or close by that same card, we actually had something where, where we were providing them with information about us right? That, that sort of a thing. And, that, and I'm not throwing anyone under the bus here, right? I mean, I, we would, as, a, uh, as leaders, we, one of the things that we said was, we, you know, we probably ought to get, because we're not doing the meet and greet time and stuff like that, and we're, you know, COVID, and we're having to stay in the pews, we, we don't really know who these people are if they are coming in new. So let's get, a, let's get a visitor card, right? That was just one small step. But then you do there are other angles that you need to begin to think about. Well, yeah, well, we don't just need to know that this guy, you know, is here for the first time, but we need to make it easier for him to get some sense of what it is that he's dealing with when he comes and he sits down in a, you know, in this crazy mixed up body. So um, you could uh, find ways to, to make basic information 
more readily available, having it in the pews. One of the things that we could do a better job on is, uh, and, and we have taken small steps, um, but signage around our campus, right? So people know where to go, not just on the outside, but even on the inside. I mean, that's something that we've always wrestled and always struggled with because it's like a, a maze in here. You've got to have a, give a visitor a GPS so that they're not getting lost in some dark, dank hallway or something like that. Um, yeah, but, the, but the, the, the biggest thing is going to be the, the church as a body seizing on opportunities to be welcoming and to connect with people that they don't recognize, even if it puts you in an awkward position sometimes from saying, hey, is this your first time here? I don't think we've met. Oh, no, actually, I've been a member here for five years. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Here's someone that's your brother or sister in Christ, and you didn't even know you had that brother or sister. Now you do. That's a good thing. But if, you, but if, if as a body we're a little bit more, right, our antenna are up and we're looking and we're desirous to make people feel welcome and comfortable, and this church overall I, th- I think is a welcoming body when they have opportunity. So, so there's, a, there's a give and take. There's no one thing that you can do that's going to provide someone with everything that they want. But at the very least, we should be able to provide them with things that give them some sort of a general idea or general picture, and then maybe even provide them with something that says, and if you have more questions, right, you can text this number, or you can email, or you can call, but, right, nothing, nothing beats, especially in a, in a church environment, the one-on-one interaction, accountability, face-to-face, the smile, the welcome, right? Those are the things that, that we want to see happening more and more often uh, at Edgewood and even trying to be as proactive as we can be to do those sorts of things. Hey, J.D. Hey, just a question. <clears throat> we all know that uh, the president-elect, in his first uh, 100 days, he's got a long agenda. What would, be, what would be your list when you move up? Yeah, for my... <laughs> Thank you, I'm out. Uh, yeah, I, uh, one of the things that, that happened with uh, the conversation with... Uh, my conversation with the elders is that they sort of asked the, the, uh, the vision question, right? What, what is your vision for the church? And I kind of hemmed and hawed at first, like, well, I mean, you know, kind of what do you mean by that? Are you looking for some sort of catchy, glitzy sort of statement that's going to make us hip and relevant? Because, you know, you got the wrong man for that. Um, but but what, I, what I did come back with was to say, well, actually, I've, I've got some things that I've been just kind of mulling over and chewing over for a period of time that I've tried to get down on paper for my own clarity and then, you know, for our benefit let me, let me give that to you so you can see some of the things that I want to, want to begin to pursue should I take on this role. And so the, the, three, the three big areas were related to uh, leadership, membership, and our corporate worship service, all right? As far as leadership goes, um, I'm not going to give you everything. Let me give you just a couple things, okay? As far as our leadership goes, uh, I would love for us to, uh, to take on additional elders very quickly. Uh, I think we have uh, men here who are qualified, who can serve in that capacity. I think it would do the church body well to broaden out uh, the, uh, the elder body. 
for effectiveness and for attentiveness and just a, a whole host of other reasons. Um, I think the, I would like to see us as a leadership body, elder staff, uh, deacons as well, can uh, begin to sort of shift gears a little bit to where it's not just me that's thinking in terms of shepherding, prioritizing that, but I want our leadership to be thinking more in terms of not just being decision makers, but being shepherds in the body, that we're, that we're attending to the needs of our people by the authority of Scripture and with the wisdom that God gives us, right? So, in case in point then, one of the things uh, I recently um, had a book that was passed on to me by my brother, which shows that, you know, even siblings can do you some good every now and then, that was very helpful for me in um, not so much articulating the need for shepherding, but actually saying, and here are some ways that in a local church body, you might want to think about putting that into practice. Very helpful for me, very convicting for me, right, to say, man, these are some areas that I've just been... I haven't thought of, I've been dropping the ball on, whatever it is. And so I took the liberty of buying that book for our elders and for our pastors and giving them each a copy and saying very politely, um, this is a book I've read, this is, this is sort of the direction that I would like to go in, I, you know, it'd probably be good for you to read it. And I said, and if I were to step into the position, then I'll come back to you and I'll say, you must read this, All right? So working with the elders and the pastors together to foster sort of a, a shepherding team of leaders that is attentive to the needs of the body. Membership, part of what goes into shepherding is you need to know who it is that you're responsible for, right? So Hebrews 13 talks about submitting and obeying your leaders as those who will give an account I want to know who I'm accountable for. I'm not accountable for everyone in Columbus. I'm accountable, though, for the people who are here at Edgewood, who are members. I need to know who those people are. And so just the other day, for example, I went to, uh, pulled up our church software, and in the membership directory, you can break it down by demographic. And I said, okay, well, let me click on this. Hit, hit one particular demographic group and started to look through the names they were names that I recognize, but names of people who have not darkened this door for I don't know how many years. Why? Is it because they're members at another church? If they are, that's great. Happy for them. Let them continue to, to be plugged into another church. Are they, are they wandering? Are they strained? Do they need to be retrieved? Have they abandoned the faith altogether? Right? Those kinds of things we need to need. So... Uh, working with leadership to be a shepherding body, working with membership to cultivate the idea that membership in a local church body should mean something, that it's not just meaningful because I want to be recognized and known as a member of Edgewood Baptist Church, but because God in his word has revealed that one of the ways that he keeps and preserves and grows his children is by putting them in a local body and that you ignore or um, abstain or distance yourself from that body at your own risk, right? I, I would love for our people to begin to know and understand that coming here and gathering together regularly is vital to their growth and maturity, vital, all right? 
And then uh, along with that, with, uh, with the worship service, that when we do gather, I want to be able to, I want to go back and I want to say, when we look in Scripture, what does Scripture prioritize and give the greatest amount of weight to when God's people are gathered together? That's what we want to do, right? So if I see in Scripture that uh, the church gathered does these sorts of things, those are the kinds of things that I would want to see Edgewood doing, the things that God himself reveals to be most meaningful, most significant, most helpful for the life and the health of his body. So I have talked with, uh, I had mentioned to Andy in one of our conversations, some of those things could be very practical, practical and pragmatic, all right? It could do with everything, you know, maybe we need to go back to red carpet because that's going to give us the ability to worship better, right? No, we're not going to go back to red carpet. Everyone calm down, all right? One of, one of the things that we can do is we can, we can do things, for example, like, as Linwood was saying, we can look at what role does prayer play when the corporate body gathers together? Should we be praying more? What sort of things should we be, would we be praying for? When we talk about the, the music that we sing, we want to preach the word, we want to sing the word, we want to pray the word. Okay, Andy, let's me and you, or our elders and pastors, let's all sit down, let's look through our music catalog, and let's say these songs ought to be in here because they sing the word well. These songs eh, probably not ought to be in here because they don't sing the word well or they're just not particularly helpful, right? So, so going and, and looking at those sorts of things to try to put the emphasis and the priority on what you see in Scripture. What is the biblical motivation or reasoning or justification for what we do? Right? Tradition in and of itself is, is fine. That's not a bad thing. In some ways, tradition is very helpful and healthy because it gives you a sense of rootedness right, and, and identity, but, but if tradition and the way that we've always done things is ultimately what begins to, to have more influence and sway, I, I, I start to get very concerned that you're, you're losing or that we begin to lose sight over the, the priority of Scripture to be our one ruling guide. So if it were to be put to me your first hundred days, I have a book ready that the leaders, are, uh, leaders of this church are going to start to read through and we're going to start to begin to reevaluate what it means to be shepherds of a local church body. We're going to begin to look at that and say not only what does that mean for shepherds, but what does that also either by implication, secondarily, or just on its own, what does it mean to be members of a church body? How do we encourage that mindset among our members and, uh, and, and uh, people who are interested in becoming part of Edgewood and then along with that what do we do when we gather together those those three things have been on the forefront of my mind for a uh, I don't know how long for for a little bit and particularly going through this period uh, those would be three of the biggest things among others I'm not giving you the, the laundry list but those would be three big ones Jerry more of a cultural question yeah um, for the church your vision, the masks. Um, just wondering if Edgewood is going to go back to an optional uh, request uh, to wear them um, 
the reason why I'm asking, I know there's two schools of thoughts. I know there's all kinds of different information on where people get their, their position on whether they want to wear them or whether they don't, whether they work or they do. Um, it just seems like it has affected the way that the church functions as far as fellowship, ministering, um, worship. Um, partially, I don't like wearing them. Uh, well, not partially. I don't like wearing them. <laughs> um, but I do because I respect the elders. Okay. Um, and if I wear a mask or I don't wear a mask, it doesn't mean that I love my brother or sister more or less. I respect them. If somebody wants to wear one, they can wear it. Uh, I don't like to wear them. And right now, <clears throat> we can't sing in a church unless we have a mask on. I know that's the rule. Some do it, some don't. But I try to obey. So therefore, I don't sing Sundays. I don't like that because I don't want to wear this thing. Um, so is there a has there been a discussion on, I guess, with the elders, will they go back to optional uh, to wearing a mask, or is it just going to be mandatory? Um, and, part and, and then a reason why is because I do think, and this is just my opinion, that uh, the world or the government is sort of taking advantage of a crisis uh, that may not even really be a crisis, but, um, and there is an agenda, but I feel like it is sort of kind of crept into the church uh, a little, but I guess I'll just leave it at that because one of the things in scripture says that there were, uh, I think in Chronicles, and Pastor Andy actually mentioned this, said that there were, uh, there were men who understood the times to know what Israel ought to do, or we could say what the church ought to do. And so um, it seems like things are shaping where society is politically made this correct. And if they start to make more mandates for corporate worship, will the elders say, well, now we need to do that in love too, or, or is, so my question, I guess, let me just back it up a little bit. <laughs> Will we go back to being optional with, with these, these things? Does, does my candidacy rise or fall on how I <laughs> No, you got my vote one way or another. I'm just, I just would like to know because I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I've struggled with saying, you know what, I don't want to come to church. I, I'll, let me watch it at home. You know, but I love the body. And so I do want to be here. And it's not right to not gather and to sharpen one another. Plus, we're involved with so many different ministries. But to just be honest, it just, it has started to just, you know, really rise up more and more. So, I mean, you know, it's just a, it's just a question, I guess. So, and, there you go. <laughs>
talking with him, all right, in part because he does things like this. This is the first time where he's done something like this, though, in a public setting to put me on the spot, so I'm not so appreciative of that. Um, is, is that in Robert's rules of order? Can we do a part? Go ahead, Pastor. Okay, um, so here's the here's the dilemma. Uh, I'll I'll piggyback in part on one of the things that that Jerry just said. For me, and I'm only answering for myself right now. For me, there there is part of this. On the one hand, there is what I think personally, and then there is what happens here as far as the body is concerned, or uh, bringing it back maybe a, a, a step closer, uh, how the leadership functions. Um, personally, if, if I could go without wearing a mask, I would go without wearing a mask too. I think I've said that before uh, and have, have made no bones about it. I also know, though, that there are people in our body who, on the one hand, don't come because we have a mask policy. I also know that there are some who would not come if we didn't have the mask policy. All right, so you tell me, how do you split that baby? Right? Now, now, yes, mass side, non-mass side, okay? Yeah, I get it. I get it, okay? Wait a minute, wait a minute, okay? Let me, let me just say up front, all right, for, for me, this is uh, culturally speaking, this is going to be another Calvinism issue for me. I don't care to get in a fight about this. I, I'll, I'll talk about it. I'll, I'll have a healthy discussion. If, if we agree, if we disagree, all fine and good at the end of the day, I'm going to put my head on the pillow and I'm going to sleep like a baby. I just, I don't care about wasting, uh, wasting valuable energy on this. Now, let me be fair to, to Jerry's question. When I say that, it's not because I don't think that this is an important question. Again, anytime you're, because of the fact that you're talking about people within the body making their decisions as to whether they attend or not based on what you decide to do with this mask, that's no, that rises to the level of, well, you better think about this, okay? What I can say at this point is that's not a decision, um, that's not a decision that the previous senior pastor made on his own. That was a decision that was reached by the elders and in consultation with the pastoral staff. As we move forward, that's not a decision that I would be able to make by myself. All right? And even among the leadership of the church, I don't know if you'd be, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, there, there is not widespread agreement within the leadership of the church as to what the best course of action would be. I'm just, I'm just letting you know this is this whole COVID thing is not something that you can prepare for. I don't think there is a simple one-size-fits-all answer. And we are weak, imperfect, at times awfully ignorant people. I, I'm talking about myself. I'm not talking about, right, where you stand. Awfully ignorant. I don't know the things that I want to know to be able to make 
a confident decision. So where Edgewood has landed so far on the mask is to say, in light of these concerns, and they're enumerated, I mean, in the, in the discussions, they're, they're enumerated. We think that this is the best path forward for the time being, the, the mass policy that we have now. There continues to be, I can say this, there continues to be discussion by the leadership as to whether or not we can make changes with the mask policy. There continue to be discussions on a regular basis. Can we get back to having uh, a more uh, typical Sunday night schedule, right? That's one thing that's been dramatically curtailed. All of these things are, are being discussed and are being talked about, and we're doing our level-headed best to not try to prop up any kind of position or platform or anything like that. We're trying to, with wisdom and discernment, say, what are the needs of the body? What are the legitimate serious needs that are represented or concerns that are represented when it comes to COVID? And then how in the world do you take all of that and put it together knowing that if you get 10 people in a room, you're going to get eight different opinions as to what the best course of action is going to be? So I, I've, I say all that to say, I, I, all of a sudden it struck me, I might be sounding a little bit stronger than what I need to sound. i I, I, don't, I don't mean to be. All, all I'm saying is it's a, it's a very difficult position. It is something that continues to be discussed and continue to look at. And as far as the leadership uh, as a whole is concerned, we would love nothing more than to get to a place where we felt like we could say, we're done with it. We feel like we can press forward with, you know, or with the mask, <laughs> Freudian slip, without the mask. And, uh, and do so confidently and with a, and with a clear conscience. Um, but it, let, me, let me also say this. Um, and, and I'm only speaking for myself at this point, okay? We've, we've had discussions like this even in my home. I won't reveal any answers or positions or anything like that because I'm not at liberty to, to do that. We've had these kind of conversations in our home and even with the, with the broader family. One of the things that, that I've considered and I think is worth considering for other people as well is that it, it is probably worth taking into consideration that these things do vary from state to state. So fortunately for us, in Georgia, we're not dealing with the restrictions that, say, California is or something like that, okay? That's something to be thankful for. So when you look at the news and you say, well, look at what they're doing, well, yeah, okay, I get that. But in a sense, you also need to look at what's happening right here. I also take into consideration, I don't know what the next year or four years is going to bring. I know what these last four years have brought. And I see what that's done within the church in trying to figure out where to spend your time and money, how to expend your energy and effort, what things are worth arguing about or not arguing about. And there's a part of me that thinks, I, I, I want to keep my powder dry for things that are really, really consequential. Right? If I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. If, if I'm going to, to expend a lot of time and energy on protesting and pushing back hard against something, I want it to be a, something that is defining to the identity of the church. 
abortion, same-sex marriage, transgender issues, right? The exclusivity of Christ. I'll go down fighting about those things, right? These other things I, I don't like. I chafe under it as well. But I, I, would, I would much rather appeal and say, yes, this stinks. Yes, we hate it. Yes, there does need to be wisdom about the fact that there are people in places of authority who would use their authority to try to undermine what the church does. I, I don't deny that. But this is a conversation that's ongoing and one that just, you know, in many ways, I don't know if there is an easy answer, an easy answer to it. It continues to be discussed. So that was a very good question and a very non-answer. Yeah, I could, yeah, blame the doctors. Right, okay, here we go. I'd be happy to say that even among our group, 15 or 16 doctors, it's 16 different opinions. So everybody can quote an article and say, this is the fact, that this is what it's all about, that you don't transmit it this way or that way. Nobody knows. This is a novel virus we don't know. So uh, we are open to looking and, and adjusting. We realize it's a difficulty for everybody. As Jonathan said, he's not. The only decision he, he has, the rest of us he has to deal with, we elderly elders that he wants to uh, expand. <laughs> so if you're 65 and older, let me know. I'll be happy to talk to you about eldership. Uh, otherwise, you young whippersnappers better watch it. <laughs> that was a far better answer and far more succinct than anything that I gave. Dora, you're right. I should have just deferred to Banks on that one. Yeah, I, I, listen, I would just appeal to you. I, right, I love Edgewood. I know y'all love the church. I know you love the people who are here, right? Like Banks said, there's just so much that we don't know. Just be very, very cautious that you don't make such a hard, definitive stance on something that you are going to burn bridges when there is so much that we're still learning and figuring out, okay? It may, it may come to be that at the end of the day, we look back and say, yep, that's what we were saying all along. Okay, but let's wait till we get there. In the meantime, let's be very gracious and very humble, right? I just, I continue to go back and think, just... Continue to think there are... Um, there are Christians around the world who would kill to be able to have the problem of whether or not they're going to wear a mask, right? I'm not belittling that, that question. I'm not belittling that concern, right? I'm not trying to put anyone off or put anyone to shame. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. I, I'm not. I'm just saying there, at a certain point, when I, you know, you just want to throw your hands up and say, I give up. I don't know, right? I go to the Word. I go to the Word and uh, read a couple chapters like uh, Revelation 4 and 5. 
get done reading that, and I say, eh, masks. You want me to wear one, I'll wear one. I don't really want to, but I, you know what I mean? They're just, I, I just want this church to be captured by things that are big and eternal. All right? Now, and it, but I understand. I, I'm, I understand. I'm sympathetic with what Jerry's saying because I don't like wearing a mask either. And that's what I'm saying. I am, I am with Jerry on that. I, just at the, um, I want to be concerned about things that are big and eternal, but I also understand that there is a need to walk wisely in this present moment. And that's what we're grappling with right now. What is the path of wisdom on an issue that seems to have as many different opinions and approaches as there are people out there to give them? Okay, all right, I've said enough. Yeah, yeah. If you come over to my house, you can wear a mask if you'd like, and I'll even put one on for you. But if you don't want to, we'll, we'll sit around the table and not wear a mask. How's that? All right. Other questions? Okay, understand, if you don't ask any more questions on what this does, it put, if it puts us at the end of this Q&A time, then that means we move into the next phase, which is uh, four weeks, that you still have an opportunity to come and bring any kind of questions or concerns either to me personally or you can uh, raise it with the elders. But they're probably, in light of the fact that we're not having to turn people away from the microphones, that probably means we had our Q&A, Everyone got to ask the questions that they wanted to in a public forum and make me sweat, and now we'd be looking to, to move on. So if, if you have other questions to ask, now's the time to do it. Okay. I just want to say thank you, Jonathan. Oh, thank you, Kathy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and just, just as a way to, uh, to commend the church on that, and I'll, I'll let this be the, the last word, because there, there really is just a lot of gratitude for uh, the way that, that the church has encouraged our family uh, with, uh, with dad's death and the, the death of the senior pastor here. But one of the things that's been very encouraging to me is uh, coming in and, and uh, taking the interim responsibility. Um, I was really sort of, you know, bracing myself for this onslaught, of, you know, sort of like what happened here tonight, right, or this afternoon. Sort of bracing myself for this onslaught. Um, but I I was just really pleasantly surprised at the amount of uh, patience and space, starting with the elders and the, and the pastoral staff to, uh, to deacons, to the membership in general, that it was sort of like, okay, yeah, he's doing the interim thing, but there was not an expectation that, well, he's going to do the interim, but, or he's going to take the interim title, but he's going to do the actual full thing. Right? There was just a, a lot of room and a lot of space um, 
that was given there, and, uh, and I don't take that for granted. I, I really appreciate that. And for those of you who took the time to set up an appointment with me to talk in, uh, in the office or by phone, uh, thank you for doing that. We'll have four more weeks. You can call and set up a time to meet if you want to ask other questions, either as follow-up or a question that you didn't want to actually say on the mic or anything like that for posterity's sake. That's fine, too. Um, I'm, I'm an open book. Last thing I want to do is for this process to go forward and six months, a year, five years down the road for someone to say, wait a minute, that's not what we were sold, right? We were told this and we got, I want you to know going in, warts and all. Okay. Can I close this with prayer? Okay. Father, we praise you and we thank you for the mercy and the grace that you have shown to Edgewood over these many years. Thank you for the heritage that has been built up at this church. Faithfulness to your word, devotion to Christ, uncompromising conviction, even when the world begins to put its pressure on us to conform to its will and its way. I thank you for so many godly men and women who have gone before us to bring us to this point here this afternoon, this evening. In many respects, we are here because we stand on the shoulders of their work. We stand on their progress and look forward in the days to come. And so as we look and as we think about where it is that this church may go in, uh, in the short term, in these near years, even in years further down the road, uh, we ask that you would first and foremost give us an unshakable confidence uh, that even when we don't necessarily understand our way, that you are nevertheless ordering our steps, that you will be faithful to your people because your glory and your reputation is at stake. Amen. You have placed your name on us. So make your name great. Give wisdom to this body, Lord. I pray that with uh, the work of your spirit that you would bring about your will uh, for this church moving forward. Uh, and that, Father, uh, by faith, we would be confident that uh, no matter who it is that steps into the role of lead pastor, that, uh, that you will have your servants shepherding your body for the good of your people for years and years to come. Let this church continue to be a light in a very dark world. We thank you for the saving work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the transforming work of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Continue to grow us in love and grace and humility, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we pray. Amen.